0: Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, uh, a lot of fun with both Ian Eagle. Man, does it take a long time to give his uh, resume. He is a CBS Sports, NFL, and college basketball broadcaster, of course. Also works for Warner Brothers Discovery when it comes to the NBA. The Yes Network when it comes to the NBA. Westwood One Sports when it comes to the NFL on radio. And we had a great conversation on a number of topics. Of course, it led with him dropping Taylor Swift into the Chiefs-Jaguars game a couple weeks ago. That went viral, and uh, he'll give you the entire background of uh, of that. Ian's always a great guest; uh, always really thoughtful. And then Jimmy Tran, my old Sports Illustrated colleague, comes on, and we discuss um, Friday Night's SmackDown coming back to the USA Network, the uh, the TKO deal with um, NBC Universal. And what that means, WWE is going to have four primetime specials per year on NBC. Fox now being out of the WWE business is interesting. And then a little bit on the financial terms of the deal as reported by CNBC and others. So I and Eagle and then Jimmy Traina coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. I mean, honestly, it would take like an hour to give the entire list of jobs that this broadcaster has. That said, I will do my best. Ian Eagle has called NFL play-by-play for CBS since 1998. You now know him on the team with Charles Davis, calling significant games every week for them. He's the lead play-by-play announcer for CBS's NCAA men's basketball coverage, which means he will be in lead chair for this year's Final Four. He's the lead voice for the Nets, for the Yes Network. So, one of the lead voices for WBD slash Turner's NBA coverage, he also has a job with Westwood One Sports. Doing it's not every Thursday night, right, Ian? It's it's most Thursday night football games.
1: Yeah, it'll end up being like sixty percent. It's basically the West Coast travel that begins to wreak havoc in my schedule. So, Howie Denneroff from Westwood One is nice enough to to work with me on the schedule and. And we uh, we make it work.
0: And now he has joined the Weather Channel, where he will be a meteorologist in Manhattan, <laughs> Kansas, covering. No. All right. Ian Eagle is the guest. Um, America's guest, as we like to call him, because he's very, very generous with his time, not just on this podcast, but radio stations and podcasts around the country. Ian, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast.
1: Yeah, great to be with you, Richard. Really uh, nice to chat. And I've been turning down interviews all week. <laughs> Hoda copy, reached out, Oprah, George Stephanopoulos. So I said, no, I was booked on the Deitch podcast before the Taylor Swift phenomenon. I must live up. To my responsibilities
0: well we're gonna start. by the way i think i saw you on cc chinese central television by the way so that's not really true <laughs> yeah. anyway um so let's get there i mean this is this has we have to i have to start here because i mean it's one of the biggest stories on the planet I, I and eagle uh dropping a taylor swift reference in the chief jaguars game this thing blew up beyond blowing up so let us start here I. at a certain point you must know that you're going to drop this can you give my listeners just a little bit of the background as to how this came to be?
1: Well, first, Richard, you need to calm down. Uh, that would be the first thing I would do. T- that's a Taylor Swift song. You, you just got to get with the times. I'm a Swifty. I'm into her music. I am blown away by her talent. So this was not far reaching for me to to drop a pop culture reference or a song reference earlier in the game. Cisco. Andre Sisco on the Jacksonville Jaguars made a great play and started dancing. And immediately I thought of the thong song, which was a big hit back in the day and made reference to it. So that's part of the approach to these games to try to have fun, to create some levity when appropriate, not shoehorning it in because of your own personal ego or trying to win a bet with a friend. In this particular case, I was clearly aware that it had been in every entertainment blog throughout the week that Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey rumor had popped up. So, you know, before the game started, you put it in the back of your mind. You don't have a specific moment when you're going to do it. I didn't even have a specific line necessarily picked out. If the moment lives up to it let it rip. And that's from years and years of doing this and starting to trust my instincts more uh, on a national level, probably about 10, 12 years ago, where I was doing stuff locally that I wasn't quite comfortable doing nationally based on credibility, based on circumstance. And not to overanalyze this, the reality was it just felt like it could fit there and it obviously went places that i never expected the fact that i was featured somehow on tmz without doing anything dastardly might have been the biggest win of the weekend
0: okay here's the call low snap
1: mahomes moving pocket mahomes floats it up Caught! touchdown travis kelsey kelsey finds a blank space for the score so the
0: – I can't even believe, like, the traction that this got. So in doing a little prep for this interview, I find that the Los Angeles Times music section, a writer who covers music says, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey's rumored romance was referenced during an NFL broadcast, and the announcer was the real winner of the game, meeting you. So this wasn't y- – y- you mentioned TMZ, but, like, literally – this, this, this clip and you doing it became like Content Factory City. You're, you're like Deion Sanders, basically, in terms of the <laughs> amount of content you are producing. Uh, so a couple things off this. Did you hear from anyone who just, I don't think Taylor Swift called you, but did you hear from anyone who even you were surprised at like, wow, this thing really does have legs?
1: Uh, my phone definitely blew up. I would say the fact that my sister texted that has no sports interest whatsoever meant that it crossed over into a, a different stratosphere of attention. And that's when I I realized, oh, this is no longer a, a fun little NFL clip. Uh, this, this actually had legs and continued for days upon days. And I had people texting me pictures of, Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, and then in between them, a picture of me. That's when the to to me, the the complete uh, hilarium of this hit me that uh, I could even be associated with this level of entertainment and fodder. It it was it was very entertaining on a personal level. Have
0: you heard from any Kelsey's?
1: I've not. I have not. Interesting. Travis Kelsey, one of the the best guys that you can talk to in a production meeting, not just based on this situation, just based on years and years of meeting with him. Just a really likable dude, Uh, always entertaining, always brings the energy. We did ask for him prior to the Jacksonville game, and it might be the only time that he turned us down. And the reality, I don't think it was based on Taylor Swift. I think it was based on him just trying to get ready for the game, bounce back from the injury, not wanting to have to deal with that aspect of it and just laser focused on doing his job. But we did not meet with him. Normally, we would have met with him. So down the road, if we've got a Kansas City game, we'll uh, ask for him again and see what what the reaction might be.
0: OK, now, what do you have a plan for this week? Like, will it be Selena no. Gomez or Miley no, 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 Cyrus no, no. or Katy no. Perry?
1: No. OK, no. Maybe the Jonas brother. No, <laughs> I have no plan for this week whatsoever. Uh, I I truly don't go into these games thinking I've got to do this. I've got to do that. If things happen organically, if there's a line that makes sense or pops into my head, it, it it really is based on instincts and experience and also trying to recognize, would I find this entertaining if I was sitting on the couch watching the game? Or would this be a nuisance? Would this get in the way? Does it enhance the enjoyment for the viewer? Or at some point, are you becoming an annoyance? That, that matters to me a lot. Do you
0: remember the Simpsons uh, episode where Bart Simpson like came up with a catchphrase, and then they basically kept making him do it all over and over again, and then eventually <laughs> yeah. he faded? So that's this, I don't want to see that happen to you, where it's like I no. and do the line. No, I, okay, that's not gonna. I happen. will,
1: I will police against that. I promise you, I, I will put safeguards in place. I will alert people that I trust. Just tap me on the shoulder if you think I'm I'm getting a bit hackneyed. In my approach, it won't happen.
0: I didn't see it live, but did Charles Davis recognize immediately what was going on?
1: Oh, get, he gave me a fist bump as we went to okay. break. All right, so he, and he actually saw Taylor Swift this summer with his family in L.A. and was going on and on about the concert over the course of the last two weeks. So he is a true Swifty that put his money where his mouth is and paid the freight to to attend a concert in los angeles and uh yeah he got it the whole way and and was smiling ear to ear as we went to commercial
0: yeah the only i I don't know if there's an equivalent to like her like the con like the current tour she's on i mean i know springsteen had his moments when he was around you too i can remember in the 90s like all my friends like wanted to go but i don't know if there's an equivalent here maybe i mean your dad was a an entertainer. Maybe during his day, this was the Beatles, but I can't come up with a color. Uh, You know, I can't come up with a parallel to this.
1: Yeah, I think Beyonce has Maybe. certainly yeah. had her moments. And you mentioned it, the Beatles, when they came to America, it was insane. But what happened this summer with Taylor Swift, I was already on board. But now after the last week of watching the reaction and acknowledging that she has touched on a whole different stratosphere of demographics with her music because the other part too that i noticed with people that were reaching out and it's almost comical that that this has been the topic of conversation for me and you we'll move it on but the the one common denominator that i noticed a lot of people either my age or a bit younger Checking in via text or email, saying, "Man, you've really made it in my household. <laughs> my daughters brought this to my attention, so the fact that it was crossing over into that area shows you that uh, this is at another level.
0: all right. We'll move on to broadcasting, so this is interesting to me, in that you know you you have a lot of experience in radio slash audio, so I know you love that medium and you're doing Thursday night football this year's radio broadcast, you know, at least sort of selected games. The reality of the sign is that, um, you have already a very intense schedule when it comes to Sunday football, just given that, you know, um, you're going to get games that are going to 20, 25% of the country. It's not the Nance Romo booth, but it's the, it's the neck, generally speaking, it's the next best game below that. And so, um, you know your preparation time already is, you know already exists for the for the television game. But clearly, there was something about doing um, having the radio gig, having that connection to the NFL uh, on that medium was important to you. So why was that something? Why is it something I should say that you want to do? And the other part of this is, does it help your television work at all?
1: Yeah, three things I would say, Richard. One, it makes you better. It makes you a better broadcaster, makes you more aware of situations. It gives you more reps. It forces you to look at the game through a different lens. Second, it does help my prep immensely when I'm seeing more teams around the league, when I can check off another team that I've seen in person. If I get them later in the year, uh, I've got a frame of reference. I have a body of work that I can look back on and say, okay, this is what was going on in week five and not just parachuting in, parachuting out. And third, it's really fun. <laughs> it's a fun thing to do. It's a blank canvas. It is very much a play by play guys medium. And you feel that when you show up and yeah, yeah, It's a little different. You don't meet with the coaches. You don't meet with the players. You don't have the same access. Uh, You're not necessarily treated quite the same in uh, your support staff, getting you into the stadium, getting you out of the stadium, escorting you to the booth. You don't have, uh, you just don't have the bodies on a radio crew. What you do have is a close knit group, people that you work with consistently, whether it's Howie Denaroff, Mike Eby. Aaron Cummins, Larry Costigan. These are people now that I've banked many, many, many years of games and experiences with where you trust one another. The analysts, I work with a bunch of different people. I like that. I like having different takes and different approaches, and it forces me to be better as a play-by-play announcer in finding common ground and forming chemistry Working with a new Hall of Famer, Joe Thomas, really smart, uh, highly experienced, highly cerebral. But it forces me to put a different hat on. Worked with the McCordy twins a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia. A whole different experience of a three man booth and two guys that sound alike and think the game a certain way. But have a different way necessarily of doing it. And they're still trying to find their way. They're so new in the business, but so natural and gifted in how they see the game. So you throw all those things together. Uh, it it really makes for a fun time. And the reason why I got into this business, in addition to making a living and fulfilling a dream of doing this, was to, to have fun while I was doing it.
0: So, one of the things about your career is you have had a ton of different partners. And currently, you have a ton of different partners, whether it's uh, you know in the NBA, you want, you're working with Sarah Kustak, then you switch to the NFL, and you're working with Charles Davis. You just mentioned the partners that you have with um, Westwood One. You have different partners when it comes to Turner. Um, and the reality is, you know, I'm going to sort of put you over here, as they say in wrestling, I've never heard any... Of your partners ever criticize you, even like on background or off the record, no one's called you an asshole. Ian, to be to be blunt and honest, <laughs> and so um, not to your face, not to my face at least, right? So, but but that there there has to be a skill set in terms of being able to work with different partners. My sense is that this is just my four cents psychological analysis. I think you have worked in the business long enough where you are comfortable with who you are, and you would like to see. The people next to you do well, and that's where I think they feel comfortable with you. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. But do you have a thought as to why you've been able to work with different partners, people of different ages, people of different genders, and generally speaking, you, you figure out a way to make it work?
1: Yeah, I think the point you made up um, just a moment ago is a good one. And I, I take that as the highest compliment of all that I do want others to do well. And I look at it as a team. It's not me and then an analyst separately doing broadcasts where people are forming opinions on each role. They're forming an opinion on the two of us or the three of us, how we're presenting the game. So those conversations that we're having on the air, hopefully are an extension of the conversations that you're having off the air. It really starts there. Uh, you know, being malleable and not allowing ego to be at the forefront of how you approach the job. So I just figured out early on in my career that uh, the best teammate that you can be will go a long way in helping the person that's standing next to you or sitting next to you do their job well and succeed and do the best that they can do in that three-hour period. And then the time spent off the year doesn't mean you're best friends with everybody. That's not how life works. But can you find common ground? Can there be some laughs along the way? Uh, Can there be some light moments that are shared that people can relate to and connect with? And also knowing when you got to get down to business and also what buttons to push. If I'm working with someone who really loves talking strategy, then I've got to key in on that. I've got to put them in a position to succeed and to take advantage of that insight that they bring. If I'm working with someone that really loves background and storylines and narratives, well, then that's where I have to shift my attention. If I'm working with someone that has an incredible sense of humor, then that becomes a big part of what we're doing. And by the way, Don't force any of the other elements that may not be part of their repertoire. Don't try to make someone something that they're not. And that's been a a big part of my thought process when doing this job. The the moment that really sticks with me, and it was such an eye-opening occasion for me, 1993, I got hired to do Jets Pre and Post for WFAN Radio. They had just acquired... The rights to the Jets games. And it was a big deal. They wanted to put their best foot forward. They wanted to put on a really good production. And they did. Steve Cohen, who uh, went on to have incredible success at Sirius XM, was heading up the production of the games. Eric Spitz, who's at Sirius XM now, uh, was a big part of it. Mark Chernoff, the program director at the time at WFAN. He was the the one that made the decisions of who was going to be deployed where. And he hires me to do pre and post and he hires Freeman McNeil to be my co-host. I grew up a huge Freeman McNeil fan, played at UCLA and just thought the world of him as a player, ended up as a Jets running back, terrific career. And now we're getting ready for the first pregame show for the preseason. And I have not met Freeman He comes to the radio station. The Jets are on the road. I meet him at the door. I bring him in. We sit in the back and talk for about 90 minutes. And the show is going to be on at seven o'clock. And I realize, oh, man, it's like 630. I got to get in the studio. I tell him, hey, I'm going to go in the studio, prepare for what I'm doing. Hang here. Someone will come get you and bring you in about 15 minutes ahead of time. He goes, great. We didn't even talk all that much football. We just talked about life, about his wife, his kids, his post playing career and now we sit down and we're looking at one another in a large studio and he had not done this ever and we're about five minutes from air and i look at him i say all good and he looks back and he said yeah 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 all good and then he says to me hey don't fuck me here and i said what no no i'm not going to do that i said i'm going to make you look good And he smiled. He's like, all right, all right. We're on the same page. And it was this lightning strike. I was young. I was 24 years old that he was not comfortable in this arena. This is a guy that performed in front of 80,000 in college, Rose Bowl, 100,000 people and performed at the highest level. But here he was placed in a new role new environment. And he was leaning on me to help get him through it. And he did well. And he ended up doing it for a few years and then uh, moved on. And Wesley Walker, uh, another player that I loved growing up, stepped in similar situation and he did well. And it was such an eye-opening moment for me in the dynamic between either play-by-play announcer and analyst or co-hosts, former athlete they want to do well they don't want to be embarrassed they don't want to be made to look foolish and if you can help them get there then you're going to gain their trust
0: that's a that's a that's a really interesting story i appreciate you sharing that with me
1: i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast each week, ses Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, <laughs> oh afterwards, the game's just about
2: doing
0: this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep.
1: <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: All right, a couple things here. The, um, do you know your net schedule yet? Roughly how many games you will do this year
1: i will do 40 nets games when it's all said and done
0: it recently um your son was announced to do some nets games do you know how many games he's doing son is noah eagle
1: you know i'd like to address that i'd rather people think of him as my brother from here on out because the numbers on the age are going to get a little distorted eventually when i start aging down five to ten years so If we can just get that rolling now, it would probably help. No, he is scheduled to do about 10 games this year, mostly during March when I'm doing the NCAA tournament and Ryan Rucco is doing the women's Women's tournament. tournament.
0: Okay. And Noah is doing NBC's primetime game as well with Todd Blackledge, who was a recent guest of this. Okay. So just let those who don't know – Sort of a little bit of background on Ian's uh, brother slash son. The uh, <laughs> now, what's interesting about this is I don't. You've probably been asked this, but I haven't. If I, if you have, I haven't read it. I have seen many interviews now with Noah where he a- he gets asked about how do you feel or how do you respond to when people say that you're getting these jobs because you're Ian Eagle's son. Well um what and Joe Buck has gotten that and the goalie kids have gotten that and they answer the questions and and that's that. What usually doesn't the person who usually is not asked, interestingly enough, is the father of this situation. So I wonder. And by the way, you know, ob- objectively, I've written this. I believe this. I, I think Noah an incredibly talented broadcaster. Um, and well, he he's um, you know, his his work speaks for itself. That said, when you read that, uh, this is a nepo baby. And the only reason he has this job is because uh, his dad's a famous broadcaster. How, how, what, what's been your reaction to that? How do you feel about that?
1: I understand why that becomes a storyline. I get it. I'm I'm not naive. Uh, I also know the truth. I I live it. So in the case of Noah and the LA Clippers, I played no role whatsoever. The Clippers reached out to him based on a recommendation from a former professor at Syracuse, Olivia Stomsky, who runs the new house sports program. She used to work on the West coast, work with a bunch of people at uh, what was at the time Fox sports West became Bally's, And they reached out to her saying, Hey, any young broadcasters coming up that uh, we should be aware of? We're looking to fill a TV position And she gave him a couple of names. They reached out to Noah. He flew out there for an audition, did well in the audition. They eventually hired Brian Seaman, the radio guy, to do TV. And then the radio job was open. And they asked Noah if he was interested in that. So that's the real story. I understand that people might jump to conclusions. And I get it. Uh, I I think it's all fair game, uh, the world that we're in now. At the end of the day, when your head hits the pillow and it's just you and your thoughts, you know how things work. So if you allow things like that to bother you or to get in the way or to make you angry and perturbed, it's not productive. So if someone wants to have a, a conversation about it, a real conversation, then I'm more than happy to. If it's just uh a tweet here or a posting there or a blog there. I understand it's all fair game. Uh,
0: You know, it leads to, uh, by the way, I do appreciate you answering that. Um, And I think at the end of the day, ultimately the work speaks for itself and people can make judgments. And even though your business is subjective, I do think at a certain point, like people know who are, who sort of do the work, who are prepared, who are good. And the opposite
1: I, yeah I, I, and if I could add go one ahead. thing Richard yeah, yeah. Uh, I think in regards to Noah or Joe Buck or other sons of of announcers the one part of the equation that is hard for some people within the business and certainly people outside the business to understand is the amount of insight they gained just by osmosis being around it literally Being in my office, watching me prepare or sitting next to me during a broadcast, watching me interact with an analyst or a producer or a production meeting when they're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. At that point, no guarantee that they're going into this field, let alone are they going to be successful in this field. So that part of it, which is a a huge aspect of it in my mind, are you comfortable and do you have command? And that comes from years and years of being around it and seeing it and understanding it at a level that some are trying to get to based on experience. But the one part that you can't replace and simulate is actually being there, being in the room, being in the moment. And that's something that, that he benefited from just because he was around it and got to see it and got to experience it and live it.
0: Yeah. I think you've hit on something that I think is really important. And so I don't think there's any doubt that Noah has benefited from the fact that you're in the business. If, like, if, you, if you're not going to acknowledge that, you're not being of honest. Course, but, of course. But, and this is the interesting thing, and obviously I've talked to Joe Buck about this and others, it feels like a million times. The reality is for Joe Buck, to be in the booth with Jack and Harry Carey and to be at all of these Cardinals spring training games and to be around baseball and talk to Mike Shannon it is essentially like or was essentially the greatest internship one could ever get if they yep. were going to enter sports broadcasting in the same way if your father or mother was a rancher or a farmer and every day since you were 6 like you were you were working those fields like you would just be so far ahead generally speaking, in terms of like what farming is about, you would have a big advantage. So I agree with you on that. The You know, one gigantic thing, and this is the same thing for like Vladdy Guerrero Jr. or uh, um, Bo Bichette, like Noah has been at events where you're calling the biggest events of the year, perhaps on television. And that probably experience just did not intimidate him when he was 20 or 21, in the same way I think, uh, you know, the, the, ba- the sons of famous baseball players are not intimidated by being in Yankee Stadium or being somewhere else because they were there as young people. And so I do think yeah. you nailed something that, like, the reality is, like, it, it, it can't be duplicated simply by, you know, um, uh, you know, going to a journalism school or going to a communication school. So I think yeah. you, you've nailed it there.
1: Yeah. And and the other part, and I think you make an excellent point, I've talked to literally hundreds of students, young announcers, aspiring broadcasters over the years. And I really do my best to try to give them sound advice and a realistic view of this business. The bottom line, I want everybody to succeed. I want everybody to move up the ladder and get the job of their dreams. We know there are only a select number of jobs that are out there that you can achieve at that particular level, but it's about maximizing what you're capable of. At the end of of the rainbow in the broadcasting world, you are judged on your work. And there are many announcers that get opportunities. Some of them make good on those opportunities, and they turn that into a 20, 30-year relationship. There are some announcers that pop in, you hear them for a year or two, it doesn't really work out, and they might fade away or go somewhere else and try it in a different market or a different sport. There's no set path in this business, but the one constant is what used to be called your tape or now your link or uh, your your reel like that doesn't lie that that's ultimately what it comes down to you turn on the radio you turn on the television and the work speaks for itself you can't hide behind it you can't manipulate it in any way that's it if somebody wants to know what you do turn on the TV or radio at this particular time and you can hear it. And you have to be comfortable with that. By the way, I would have young announcers reach out to me and send me their clips and say, Hey, if you could just forward to the two forty-two mark, I really like what I did there through the five minute mark. That minute 35 was my best work. And I'll say to them, you got to be comfortable with all of it. That minute 35 isn't what everybody else is going to focus in on. You just have to be okay with all of it. And that's ultimately what it comes down to in our business. Yes, opportunities, who you know, like any other business in the world, that can open up doors. What you do with it, that's up to you.
0: All right, a couple more here. Have you started, even though it's, I mean, it's a ways away, but have you started to think about uh, the final four and the fact that you- will get the last call of the year in men's college basketball?
1: Not in the way that you're alluding to. I've obviously thought about it and how much fun it's going to be with Bill Raftery, with Grant Hill, with Tracy Wolfson, with the production crew, Mark Wolf, Mark Grant. But it's an interesting concept because it's the one sport of all the major sports where you truly have no idea who's going to be a part of it. You know, the NBA, you could grab two, three, four, five teams and think, all right, pretty good chance that these teams are going to emerge. This year in the NFL, maybe not as easy, but previous years where there there was a group of teams that you could imagine, you could visualize in your head. And, To some degree, baseball, the playoffs, once you get to that stage, you say, okay, it's going to be this squad or that squad. Hockey, same deal. College basketball, impossible. It's impossible. So the idea of conjuring up the image of what it's going to be like in Glendale, Arizona with this particular team or that particular team, you have no idea, which is what makes the mystery of the NCAA tournament so much fun and so alluring. What I can say about it for me is I'm not going to change what I do. I'm not going to change the way that I broadcast basketball. I've done thousands of games. And that I think is a positive. They hired me because they liked the way I do the game. And that's going to remain constant. What will change is a recognition of the stage and the event that I'm doing. And it actually, in a bizarre way, Richard, may require less of me than you would think in a regular season game or an early round tournament game. By that point, fans are aware of the teams. And yes, you have to highlight the big storylines and the personalities and the background, but I don't think you're going to the well quite as much as you might have been in a different setup. And it is a lot of the visual part. It's a visual medium. And the fact of the matter is I'm going to be there to, to help the pictures along and to do justice by the participants and the schools and the alumni that are in the final four. So that's what I've thought about. That's how I've I've let it marinate in my head a little bit, but as we get closer and closer to it, there's no doubt there will be more specific thoughts on how to attack this thing. But for now, it's it's on the calendar. I just have so many events before I get to it. I can't even get caught up in the minutia of of the actual weekend.
0: I know you got to be a little diplomatic here. Um, these are people who are friends of yours, and it's a network that you don't work for. So you start talking about a, either a competitor or an adjacent, but we had a very, very big shakeup when it came to the NBA Finals booth in Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, no yep. longer at ESPN, replaced by Daris Burke and Doc Rivers. Obviously, you're very, very tight with Mike Breen. I know how fond you are of him. I know how fond he is of you. You can go back to the archives yep. and hear Ian and Mike together here, but- you know, you've been in the business a long time. These kind of shakeups, like, they don't really happen. Like at that kind of level, like that. Were you? should let me just ask a blunt. Like, what was your reaction when you saw it or when you learned of it?
1: Yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked. I mean, let's just be completely upfront. Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy, are both close friends. So, really have. Admiration, respect for what they've done, what they've accomplished. And ultimately, you're going to see them doing things again within this field. There's no doubt in my mind. And I think what they had with Mike was really special three man booth that worked, that enjoyed one another's company, that gave you the insight, but then also the levity. You got the best of both worlds. Moving forward, Doc Rivers, Doris Burke. Also friends, people that I have a ton of respect for. Doc Rivers' first game as a basketball analyst on television was with me, the Clippers and the Nets, way back when uh, he was friendly with people at MSG because he had played with the Knicks. MSG controlled the rights for Nets games. They were under the umbrella of Cablevision. And there was a five-game package that was placed on WBIS in New York, Channel 31. Wow. And Doc Rivers was hired as the analyst for those five games. And the story, I remember it like it was yesterday. We were in LA and Doc said, I talked to him on the phone. He's like, hey, I'm going to pick you up at the hotel and uh, we'll drive over together. I said, you got it. And he thought I was staying with the team at the Ritz. In Marina del Rey, the broadcasters were actually staying down the block at the Marriott. And I'm waiting out front. I didn't take the team bus because I thought it was going to be good bonding time for me and Doc. And now five minutes go by, 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by. No cell phones, mind you, back in the day. I'm like, man, where the hell is he? And he pulls up in a convertible. And he's like, man, I thought you were at the Ritz. I was ah, all right, miscommunication, no problem. I get in. I was like, hey, you're going to leave the the top down? He's like, what, you don't like the top down? We're in LA. I was like, yeah, but my hair. He's like, ah, screw your hair, man. And we go to the game with the top down in Los Angeles. He had never done a game in his life, and he was excellent. You could tell then how natural he was going to be. Another story. NBA lockout 1998 again MSG they control the Nets rights I'm told you're not going to get paid the deal that you have signed does not allow you to get paid unless you're doing games so Mike McCarthy who is running MSG network at that point calls me and says hey we have a game for you so it's going to help you get paid and it's women's basketball, Rutgers, Tennessee, at MSG. It's our production. You're doing the game. I said, great, I'm in. Who am I doing the game with? He said, well, you probably don't know her, but her name's Doris Burke. She's really talented. She's just getting going in the business. I said, great, I'll be there. Do the game. We get midway through the first half, and I'm thinking to myself, this person is incredible. This is one of the best people I've worked with. And the game wraps up. I had a tremendous time working with her. Uh, There was obviously a a lot of professional respect, and then it turned into uh, a friendship and a personal relationship. So I was on the Doris Burke bandwagon in 1998 during the NBA lockout. This is how things come around in this business. They'll be awesome. Mike's going to Command that ship. It's going to be a great broadcast. But to answer your question, yeah, these are friends. These are people you care about. And it hurts you when people that you care about are hurt and did not expect this to happen. I think most people in the industry were completely startled when that decision was announced.
0: Yeah, I agree. So this is certainly the Jeff one. Um all right. Last one, you know, you look at your um You look at your resume and you've done, it feels like every sport, you know, people certainly who are tennis fans know that you did a lot of tennis early in your career. We know about the NBA and the NFL. Um, You've hosted sort of multiple sports. Here's the one. And by the way, you may have done this and I'm just not aware of it, but do you have any kind of connection at all to college football? And would it ever be any of any interest And I don't know how this would happen, but as a one-off like would you love to call like Alabama LSU at night or do one of these mm. like famous uh, college football rivalry games cuz my sense is just based on where your career has been which is mostly in the east coast and the sports that you've done I would think that's the one sport we haven't done a ton of stuff.
1: Well I did Army Navy for a while. Oh that's cool. Uh, Boomer Science yeah. and I did it for an extended period of time. The first one I did was 2002 I think I did nine of them. Craig James was my analyst the first year. And then I believe Boomer jumped on board after that. And it was a blast. I mean, that was a very unique game. And I wouldn't put it under the classic college football. But still an incredible atmosphere. Yes. Just a different vibe. Meeting with the cadets, meeting with the midshipmen. That was part of the deal. You would go to Annapolis. You would go to West Point. And I was just blown away. I was blown away by by these young people and uh, the commitment that they had to not just playing football, but to our country and to preserving freedom and the responsibility that came with that and the stories that came out of that. So that was a big part of, of a, a long stretch of my career at CBS. You know, There was a time where... It was being discussed, a possibility of maybe taking over the SEC package one day once Vern was done. Oh, wow. Interesting. And
0: Breaking news here. I the didn't timing.
1: Know yeah, the timing of that was Dan Fouts and I had just started doing games together. And I think because we bonded so quickly and felt instant chemistry in the booth, literally, uh, we, we felt it right away. Uh, We had the Raiders and the Titans week one of our first season and the first quarter we knew it was going to work. Dan has a bunch of friends in the Nashville area. His wife, Jerry would uh, put on a concert out in Oregon and would invite country music stars and year after year they would show up. So he had a bunch of country music friends and they would come by the booth, whether it was Amy Grant or Vince Gill. In this particular case, John Hyatt was in the booth with a headset on for our first game. And we get through the first quarter, and Dan turns to John Hyatt and says, uh, "You enjoying it?" He says, "Man, yeah." He goes, "How long have you guys been together?" Man, you're great. He says, "This is that was our first quarter, dude." He's like, "What?" I I would have imagined it were the, ten years together. That's that's how instant the connection was. So I think because Dan and I were working so well together and we we're doing the NFL, uh, that's where I ended up staying. And I certainly had no problem doing it. A huge NFL guy. It's coursing through my veins. But it was something that was talked about behind the scenes back in the day. Wow.
0: Yeah. I'm. Uh, I got all day for uh, Jerry and Dan Fouts. I like. I like. I like both oh, of them. And uh, the best. Yeah, what, what I know, was, is Jerry Fouts, does she have a country music background? Like, does Dan's wife? I don't know that. Is that is that the connection there?
1: No, she she really has a PR background. If you want to go way back, she was Dick Enberg's personal assistant wow. before she ever knew Dan. Okay. Uh, that's how crazy this world is. And then Dan and, and Dick were working together at CBS years later. No, she had a, a PR background and uh, has the kind of mind that can... Put things together. She can just see all the jigsaw puzzle pieces come together to form something really special. And she's done incredible work in Sisters Oregon year after year charity work to bring this concert to life. Lyle Lovett was was in our our booth a number of times. Kim Carnes was in our booth a number of times. Oh, that would have been Uh, another that would
0: have been a big Betty Davis Eyes moment for you. Exactly.
1: It it was it was really cool. And the fact, again, very similar when you take someone outside of their normal realm and put them somewhere else, the fascination that they have of the process. And these are creative people, so I, I can see why it happens. But you take them out of the music world, you put them into the TV sports world. And just the most rudimentary of things they found fascinating. Someone jotting down a stat and showing it to me, and me saying it on the air. Then we go to commercial break, like, that's how that works. Yeah,
0: that's nobody, how no, no. you
1: have the punt and the return they so just, quickly right. 46 yard punt and then a slash, 18 yard return. It's like, yep, sp- you just saw sp- the sausage being a sports made. A sportsman would
0: be fascinated by spotters. Just to un- to, no to show what a spotter does for a broadcaster, because there's no way someone like you could process everything that happens on a singular play. So that you have somebody there who can point to a number who made the tackle and stuff. It's like fascinating. I, I it would be fascinating to people um, who I think then would have a I think a bigger appreciation. For sort of, in some ways, how much of a miracle it is that the thing gets on. You know what I mean? That actually yeah, it, exists. It's,
1: it's all about communication yeah. and, you know, something that, that I know fascinates you, the guys that do doubles during the week, Bob washusen right. Dave Pasch, yeah. Wes Durham, Anish Schroff. they're doing a college game and then going and doing an NFL game. They're doing it. A little bit the reverse of me. I'm usually doing the radio game earlier in the week, and then I've got to shift my brain into TV mode for Sunday. They're doing their TV game in the college world, and then they've got to shift their brain to NFL radio mode. And you're right. That's where spotters come in. Think about it for me. When I'm doing two games a week, that's 53 players on a roster times two. So that's 106 players and then multiply that by two. That's 212 players that you have to have some general knowledge of, and then, to be honest, more specific knowledge of in-game. And you've got to be able to quickly evaluate the situation that you see and then identify who's doing what and what it is they're doing. So a lot of it is trust if you have a, a good spotter it does allow you to at least turn off a little bit one part of your brain so that you could focus in on what your analyst is saying. You could focus in on what your producer is relaying to you or what graphic is on the screen or what's coming up next or what replay we're coming out of. And now you've got a spotter that indicates to you that a backup running back has checked into the game that takes that step out of all of the information that's being bounced around and juggled around your head. So if that gets you from point A to point B quicker and you know, it's right because you trust them. It just allows you to do your job more efficiently.
0: Yeah. It's um, it's, I mean, it's obviously it it can't sort of exist, but if you ever happen to have the opportunity to sort of see a, a pro level broadcast, uh, live from behind the scenes you you will I certainly the people who listen to this podcast will find it fascinating all right Aide, is there anything else that uh you'd like to cover any uh, b- any pop culture references or something like that or you feel like we've we've covered it all at this point i feel like we might have
1: i mean if you want to do another 10 minutes on taylor swift <laughs> we could get into bad blood or Ooh, i knew you were nice. trouble or wow you re- you're like legit you me i do. mean this is yeah
0: this is not one of those i'm just going to come up with the uh, a ref a song reference from the the hit maker of the day. I mean this you you've, your bona fides are, are clear here, I think, so
1: I um, just I just want to prove and validate that this was not some random thing that I grabbed out of right. thin air. I, I must tell you, I got a number of emails and texts, not from close friends, but from acquaintances that said, Was that on purpose or did you accidentally get there?' And I, I found those really funny. Also, uh, you, would not,
0: you would not get confirmation for this, okay? But I would bet, if I had to go to Vegas, I would bet 99.9% that Taylor Swift was or is aware of this. You agree? You think? Yes. I don't think there's any way that someone, there, someone in her orbit is absolutely an NFL fan. It just makes logical sense, just given the popularity of the sport. And I think someone would have mentioned it to her. And I think she would have checked it out.
1: Do you think there's a 99% chance that the person that told her said, Taylor, Kansas City, Jacksonville, you have got to hear this call from Eon Eagle?
0: I predict I'm saying that your name wasn't even mentioned when she was told. I'm just saying you got to check this out. Yeah, it is crushed. Crush. Although interesting enough, Charles Davis was, and they're going out for dinner later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you You're probably
0: right. All right, Iron Eagle again. I'm not giving his resume because I'm exhausted already at this point. But you know all the places uh, he'll be at. Um, check his workout. Obviously, right now when it comes to uh, the NFL on CBS, as well as Westwood One, we'll eventually follow him when he when the Nets come uh, for the YES Network, and then obviously NCAA basketball season, we will uh, hear him on the. Uh, I should know this. Where is the Final 4 this year? Where's your first?
1: Final 4 is uh, Glendale, Arizona.
0: Okay, not bad weather, right?
1: Pretty good. Yeah, Pretty we good, should be we should be good. It was the Super Bowl site last year and I did right. the the world feed with Charles, so Okay. And tw- what like about
0: 2025? I- you probably know this, right? I'm sure that's been chosen. Do you know the next year?
1: Off the top I of your head? I think it's San Antonio, Okay, I
0: that's a very having covered many women's Final 4s there. That's a great college yeah. basketball town for that kind yep. of event. indy
1: is in the mix all, vegas is in the mix those are great. all okay good all upcoming good. sites within the next four or five years okay
0: good all right you got a ni- you got a you got a nice one on. try to put in for paris or madrid <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: yeah i'm gonna I'm gonna try to put in for uh, final four in greenland <laughs> we're just gonna mix it up completely places be, that i want to visit be fascinating
0: all right i thank you continued success uh, i always appreciate your availability and uh, we'll be watching you. Iron Eagle, everyone. Yeah, Thanks for joining me it. today on the Thanks, Sports Media Podcast. All right. As I said at the top, I mean, this is the second guest of this podcast, but this gentleman is an absolute first guest. This is an A-chair kind of guy, not easy to get, tough to eventually track down, but we have landed amidst Jimmy Traina, writer slash podcast host. His podcast is SI Media with Jimmy Traina, which you can get at Apple, Google Play, and all the other places. And that is a name change, and we will talk about that as well. In addition to why he is here, the WWE and NBC Universal agreeing to a five-year domestic rights deal. And I welcome Jimmy Traina back to the Sports Media Podcast. Jimmy, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? very polite jimmy thank you i'm um, good um all right before we get into the, the wwe stuff which is you know significant media news i think for both of us mm-hmm. the you yep. you the as most people know prior to you hosting i hosted the sports illustrated media podcast that has now changed and at least from my perspective the the name change is about branding J- the jimmy train brand as much as anything i wonder if you can give us the story behind the name change of the podcast
2: uh, the story is that my producer Shelby said to me one day while we were taping the pod that higher ups wanted to change the name and the logo, and I said okay, and that was it.
0: That's there's nothing. Not really.
2: There's no other. There's no story other than that. That's the entire story.
0: Have you found that the name change has helped with downloads and and um, exposure? No not at nope. all okay Nope. why not going back maybe to the old old name that that i because i then I, I think
2: that looks a little ridiculous to yeah. go
0: back so. can you believe by the way i mean i know you know this but like mm. it's crazy because like i started the si media podcast in 2015 it's now eight years right. later eight years later and by the way you were on that podcast early so it's not like yeah. so you and i and you also did you do a train of thoughts podcast or no
2: i did um it was called, when I came back to SI, it was called Off the Board.
0: Okay. So, the larger point is like both of us have been doing podcasts for a long time. I mean, not like as long as like Adam Corolla and the people at the start, well, but, but we both of us well, have, have I, a lot of years now in this.
2: And I mean, I started back in probably 09, 010, the hot, oh, 09, 2010, the Hot Clicks podcast.
0: Oh, I don't so, even remember.
2: I mean, yeah, from, you do on from that? the you, just, you
0: talked about from what the stories were of the day
2: for Hoclux? from the closet from the closet in <laughs>
0: well yeah I know that's swimsuit in the, swimsuit closet
2: yeah yeah I mean and at that time S I it it would have been impossible for S I to care less oh I agree about podcasts. we
0: both know that that is true they blew it and
2: I was getting and I was getting like. John Cena came to the building to do the podcast. Really? Um That's
0: that's phenomenal. Oh yeah. 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 Paul Heyman um, came for mine. I didn't know you had Cena though. That's a bigger get. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean Vince Scully did that podcast. That's Oh, I wish you had the tape of that. That'd actually be cool to hear.
2: I, yeah, and all those pods ended up getting yeah, wiped out unfortunately, know, so it's, it's a bummer.
0: The IP for a lot of that stuff's gone all right we don't have to go down memory lane but obviously best of luck with the podcast you've been getting a lot a, a ton of great guests i will say this uh, one 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 th- one last and by the yeah. way yeah and i actually you know i, I know um you had won in barkley for a long time and you got him and it was mm-hmm. a great, great interview which i uh, i said on uh, social media the one thing Thank you. yeah the 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 one thing that's kind of interesting to me in this space and in terms of like the podcast space with sports media podcast, you have one. Obviously, I have one. Marshannon and O'Rand have one. Brian Curtis has one. John Lewis has one. Sportico has one. I'm probably. I apologize if I'm missing. Am I missing someone? I'm sure I am. The the, the big lead occasionally does one. My if I missed you, I apologize. It's not. in not will get over it. Yeah, it's not intentional on this. But I do think, Jimmy, this is a true thing. I think that the one podcast. Where the where I'm not saying me and you are in competition, but our guests are similar are me and you because we will do um sort of mainstream conventional people in broadcasting we'll occasionally do people from the the world of wrestling. you don't do a ton of like the sort of the more inside business people. I think I would do that more than you, obviously Marsha and Oran, that's a very very big get for them, although they also occasionally will will do like you know jeff van gundy or Dars burke or whatever but wouldn't you agree that me and you sort of have the most similar guest orientation out of all those and then brian curtis i think more he goes all over the map like he'll do news and me and you do not like i I can't remember the last time i brought a news person like have you ever brought like a jake tapper in or something like that not really right
2: i I had brian stelter on
0: okay all right so that would fit that right but not that that's a rarity for you right
2: Yes, very okay. much so.
0: So would you agree that me and you were sort of in similarities in terms of booking?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, yes, I mean, everything you said is true. I think Martian and Orion is similar to us. But so, like yeah. you said, I mean, they do a lot of the business stuff. I don't do the business stuff because I just don't know it. And I don't want to sound like a fool. Um, but you have, you know, but, but, yeah. you,
0: but you're smart to have people on who do cover it on a day to day. That's the way to do it to me.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think the business stuff is good for the people in the business. I'm not sure how much. Um,
0: yeah, like the conve- like like your general audience
2: care about you know the fact that this executive is getting paid, whatever you know.
0: Well, it's. I mean, it, I try to find sort of the medium between both. I think you do more broad conventional stuff, and right. I think. I mean, ba- I mean, you shouldn't say I think. Like, obviously, I know both of us have obviously. You know, downloads and, and and metrics and information. Usually, the bigger the guest name, the better the viewership. It's not always the case, but as a general rule, like of thumb, that's probably true. But I will say, unlike the business stuff, if you hit the right guest when something like big happens, like I, I'm just like making this up, like a uh, ESPN re-ups with the NBA. If you have the right business side guest for that, I do think. That's a topic people are into, as opposed to if you that week, let's say you had Al Michaels telling stories. Right. Yeah, I agree.
2: Okay. Yeah, I agree. But I do think what's – I find – I don't know if you agree. I find that every week it's sort of like threading a needle, though. Like you want a guest who's going to be interesting, who people are going to listen to, but then there is the other flip side of it where it's like is there something newsy you should be covering? Right. And then do you sacrifice not covering whatever you should be covering because you have a guest and the guest may not, you know.
0: But you can, you, I think both of us can sort of fulfill that by if you have the guest and then you bring somebody in, let's say who's a sports media writer or reporter to talk about that topic, right?
2: Yeah, you can do that. But like I said, it's threading a needle because sometimes you're taping and the news that you want to discuss came out maybe a short while ago. You don't have enough time to book something. You know, it's, you know what it's like when you have to, book on the fly so oh, yeah. um
0: and this is a book on the fly trust me yeah i no I'm sure either. i'm
2: sure yeah, i will say it, Sa- mean, i think
0: sal lakata is a is a secret sauce for you i think a lot of people like that guy and i think you get you must have a really i don't know if your metrics can tell you this but i bet you have a really good tri-state audience listening ship because of that
2: yeah i don't think it's a secret sauce i mean it's we've been added a lot people seem to really like it we get a lot of feedback on it and it's worked out even better than I could have imagined. Yeah,
0: so. no, I'm I am, I am envious of that. I wish I had somebody who was on every week who I could play off. It's harder, yeah. it's much harder to do solo. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe down the road, that I will find that person, but I'm, I'm with you on that. All right, let's move on to uh, why you are here. So I think both of us sort of knew that WWE was ultimately gonna um, sell its rights, or I should say TKO now, right? Was gonna sell its rights somewhere. And then we're taping this on Thursday. News breaks that WWE and NBC Universal have entered a five-year domestic rights partnership. The news here is that Friday night SmackDown is now returning back to USA Network beginning October of 2024. Additionally, beginning in 2024, WWE will produce four primetime specials per year that will air on NBC. Um... This is pretty fascinating, Jimmy, in that one, they go back to USA, which they had been on before. And then secondly, it's a return like to the late 80s where pro wrestling is getting primetime on NBC. How'd you read this one?
2: Well, I, I wasn't shocked at all. I have always felt, and I'd be curious for your take on this. I have always felt that Fox, I expected Fox to do a lot more with SmackDown and the WWE than they did. I thought there were just so many opportunities with Fox having the rights to the NFL, college football, MLB. They're on Friday nights before a big college football day. I thought there'd be a lot more uh, cross-promotion, a lot more meshing of things. Uh, I thought we'd see more Fox people getting involved in WWE, not necessarily in the ring, but you know what I mean. And I was shocked because it just really felt like SmackDown was an isolated thing on Fox. Um, so i wasn't shocked that the wwe ended up moving smackdown off of fox usa i mean at the end of the day it all comes down to money anyway so if usa slash nbc slash universal is going to offer more money than fox then that's where the wwe is going to go um but i would have expected the fox and um WWE marriage to work out better than it did, so I wasn't shocked it went back to USA. I do think SmackDown going to USA, I think means Raw is going to end up off of USA.
0: There's some yeah, there's some good observations there by you. Um, So first, I agree with you on Fox. It really started off hot, like that partnership. Like you remember, like the first couple weeks or first couple months, Fox was so into it. The ratings were good. They were. It felt like there was cross promotion all over the place, and then I agree with you. Then it just felt like an isolated property on Friday night that had no connection nope. to the rest of the Fox Sports lineup, um, and I'm not sure why that was. Um, you know, maybe eventually it just became a odd editorial fit. I think a lot of this has to do with news. You know, Fox Fox Corp making a decision not to go back in, but I'm with you on that. And then secondly, a hundred percent, I can't see how Raw would continue on NBC Universal if they just got SmackDown. It just I don't think they're gonna right. d- it seems crazy that they would donate a uh, donate. That they would have two nights of this within right. NBC Universal, but I guess we'll we'll see. Um does it mean anything to you that it's back on USA network? Like just as a network versus Fox? You know, I did see some Twitter mentions that you're giving up Reach, you know, you're giving up network for uh for cable, but I think the WWE hardcore will find that product no matter what. Whether it's on Fox or whether it's on anything else.
2: Yeah, this is where this is where I think the WWE differs from the traditional sports. That fan base is loyal, rabid, and I think where WWE is at a major advantage here is that no matter where they put SmackDown and Raw, their base audience is going to – it's not like the rating is going to go from two f- 2.5 million to 1.5 million. That's not happening. Those people will stick with it. And I think that's where the WWE fan base gives the WWE a huge advantage. They could be on any cable broadcast. I don't think it matters.
0: The big question is what becomes the signature show? What becomes the A show? Because SmackDown has been the A show.
2: I think Raw is always going to be this the the A show.
0: Okay. So you think it's going to flip again? I, think it's, I don't think it ever flipped. I don't know. You don't think, think when, when, when especially early on when Fox was really pushing stuff, you don't think that SmackDown became the A-show just because it was on network? No.
2: Really? No. I think Raw is always the A-show.
0: I don't know if I agree with you on that, at least in the, in the near term. Raw historically has always been the A-show. I agree with that, but... I feel like when they were with Fox, they were trying to switch debt. Uh, The financial terms based on sourcing, sources close to the deal, sources close Mm -hmm. to the deal really smells like WWE people talking to these reporters, by the way, but whatever. Um, So um, numbers out there from multiple places. So you know, the sourcing is the same 1.4 billion up from 1 billion Fox paid in 2019, There would be some people who say, man, they didn't get the increase they want. I'm always of the belief, Jimmy, that if you get any kind of increase in 2023, given the environment that we live in, that is a win. How do you see it?
2: Absolutely. And I think it goes back to what I said. The WWE is a very, very loyal audience. And if you get into business with the WWE, you know what you're going to get. You know how many people are going to watch their programming. You know how many people are going to beyond peacock and buy merchandise and all that's go to go to events they're very hot right now in terms of live events they're live events i know are making them a ton of money yep so um i think the consistency of the wwe is the reason why they were able to get an increase in rights fees and as you know in terms of broadcast tv and even cable the traditional shows sitcoms dramas i mean they're they're practically dead. dead. I mean, yeah. I hate saying it, but it's the truth. And the thing that drives people to a TV or wherever they're watching a device is live. Anything live
0: is still what people want. Yep. So I, I was not shocked they got a, a rights increase. All right, Two more things here. One will be storyline, but, but uh, uh, before that I should sort of give my line that uh, once again, uh, Nick Khan's genius is to make rich people even richer. And he is a uh, He's done that again. What do you think? The the primetime thing is really interesting to me. Okay. And I think part of, and it's probably interesting to you because me and you grew up in an era where like Saturday night main event seemed like the coolest thing ever to watch. There were, I don't particularly remember them, but you know, I looked it up again today in the late eighties, like 1988, there were, there was primetime wrestling, WWF wrestling on NBC that, that drew like 30 million, like some crazy number. You know they, they loaded up the card. It was like Andre and Hogan, et cetera. I wish I could remember that, but I don't. Um, I think this is going to be a hit. Like uh, like you, the thing that the last thing that seems to like be of interest to people when it comes to linear television is live sports and like a live news event. And this, while it's scripted entertainment or athletic entertainment, this fits into that to me. I think these primetime things are going to do great if they load up the card with stars, which I'd assume they will. You?
2: They, I, I totally agree. I think they're going to be huge hits. I think, like you, I, they're definitely going to have the stars on these shows. They're not going to make it a, a crappy show. They're going to do it. Big. I think it's going to be very in the vein of Saturday Night's main event, where they put together a, a big card. And again, like I said, live TV, loyal audience, consistent audience. I think it. I think it's a no-brainer for. NBC. I think it's a no-brainer for the WWE. I think four is a good amount. It makes it feel special. Yeah, I agree. You know, when they did Saturday night's main event, do you remember how often they did that? It was yeah, I, it was like I would seem Saturday to remember it was live.
0: it was once a week for like the like a shorter run than a Saturday Night Live, like a half Saturday Night Live run. Right. So maybe yeah, once, think, maybe once a week. Think, I'm over like twelve weeks, maybe or eight weeks, right. something like that.
2: I think the the four weeks gives it a special feel.
0: I agree. I, I'm with you on that. All right, and then the last thing I want to ask you before we get out of here is, yep, you're you you you're a longtime huge rock fan. Uh, yep. By the way, he's he's not done the podcast yet, right? That's kind of the white no, whale. He, he's he, not doing the podcast. I think it's he will out. get him one day. I'm going to make that prediction. No. here.
2: He doesn't do podcasts. He's never on. I mean, I know he's done. I think he's done a You know, he's on McAfee and he did um. What's the name? It's a really good podcast. The one that Ryan Clark does. Um,
0: oh, he did that oh one. Oh my god! Yeah, I know that one. The, yes. pi- the Pivot, I believe. Yep. yep. Yeah, but he's not coming online. Okay, I, st- coming. I, I hold out hope. Um, right. Do you think there's a storyline that will work for the WWE universe, for WrestleMania, for everything else that involves him? And the only reason I ask it, obviously, listen, biggest star ever, you put him, he can do anything and people are going to be interested. That's not my point. But is there some way where it would make sense to involve him with Roman, Cody Rhodes, where it makes sense that the storyline exists after he leaves? Because you, in theory, you can't make him have the belt. He's not going to be there every day. So that, I think that's impossible. If you, if he beats Roman don't don't you then in some ways bury Roman? And then the Cody thing, like, I think they just have to eventually decide, like, do they want to put the belt on Cody and make him the face of the company? So that's the only thing. I, I know, I imagine Rock's going to be part of this. It's going to sell incredible tickets. That's not the point. The point is, is there some kind of logical way to make it where he's involved, where it doesn't just seem like a weird one-off? Do you know what I'm trying to ask you?
2: I do, but I don't think it matters. I honestly don't think it matters. When he came out on SmackDown last week, I mean that place completely lost their minds. The bottom line is they just want to see The Rock. I really don't think the fans care about I mean, listen, you have these whacked out lunatic fringe WWE fans that go through like the storylines and like figure out like where WWE screwed up this storyline. Okay, you'll have some of those. But Clearly, they're going to do something with, I'm sure they'll do something with the family and the, you know, the fact that Roman and and Rock are cousins and they'll come up with something. But I I don't think it matters.
0: I think people just want to see. um, They want the moment of Roman staring across the ring from The Rock. And yeah, exactly. Exactly.
2: Reminiscent of um, Rock Hogan.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah. And that will be, that will be earth shatter or earth shaking and the place will go nuts. And I agree with all that. And maybe you're right. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I just, I do think there has to be some kind of logical story where he comes in. He's not going to be around every week. So you have to figure out what's logical well, they, after he's he done
2: com- this before with Cena. When he feuded with Cena, he wasn't there every week. They had him on doing video vignettes and, and, um, yeah, that's true. You know, satellite stuff. And so, I uh, you know, they'll figure it out. I, I think they maybe are even overthinking it, you know, because, what rock told McAfee was the deal was um, they had the deal done and they, they couldn't come up with something. And I'm like, uh, doesn't matter what you come up with. Just get in the ring, you know, do the promos. That's what, you know, I, I don't know I, where I do think it's an issue is I do think it'd be hard is what you're sort of hitting on. I do think it would be hard if he just showed up at WrestleMania and had this match. I think he does need to be on raw. Two or three two times, times right.
0: Can I give you my and, Can I give you my fantasy booking? Sure. And then we'll get out. Okay. I, they're not going to do this. Okay. So you set it up, obviously. Like Rock has to, uh, he he has to sort of redo the family name, right? Roman's ruined the family name. Rock has to come in and beat Roman to, um, to restore the tarnish of the name. Okay. They go right. through. They go. They have a. They have a whatever six week, ten week run. Eventually get to WrestleMania, whether it's night one or night two. Rock eventually beats him in a classic thriller match. Somehow, whether it's a Money in the Bank thing or something like that, Cody sprints into the ring, cashes that in, and then beats Rock. That's what I would do. They're not going to do it, but that is what I would do.
2: See, I think it's important for Cody to beat Roman.
0: Yeah, okay. That's interesting. He still can, by the way. You can still have Cody Roman in my theory afterwards. You could do that for next year. Yeah. You can have them chase each other. But yes, I think you I think what will happen is closer to what you're saying. Somehow Cody and Roman will be whatever this wherever the story goes next after WrestleMania, even if Rock's involved. That's what I think.
2: Yeah. I I, I don't I'm not convinced that the WWE is gonna make sure Cody's
0: involved in this. Okay. Well maybe. I don't I mean, I don't know. I feel like eventually they they gotta make a decision if they're gonna run with the guy or not.
2: I agree. And you know, they look at things differently than me. Like I think the WWE thinking was after they didn't have a win at mania against Roman, they put him in a feud with Brock Lesnar and they think that's a big deal. I think Brock Lesnar's the single most boring wrestler ever and i couldn't even uh, he comes on i change the channel so like no, bro, no. i mean
0: i i, I, no. I know you, i meant i'm not it's not a sustaining feud or anything but i do think brock gives you the one element of danger that nobody really else has yeah i don't get that at all you kind of believe that the guy could kill anybody that's there's value in that
2: yeah right, I, right, I guess this, i just don't we, see that we disagree i to me if a guy can't talk i'm not interested
0: no, he's he's gotten better as a talker. Anyway, we'll end it here because I don't want all the comments, you know, that you get, Jimmy, whenever you talk wrestling, you know, it gets too yeah. long. So we'll yep. Uh, yep. and almost never do this. Is there anything else you want to bring up before we get out of here? This is a, this is not a full Jimmy Traina appearance. This is this is an abbreviated one. Is there
2: anything else? I, well, I'm so put on the spot. Is there anything else I want to bring up? I get. I don't think so.
0: Well, we'll come back. I mean, I'll have you do the NFL and Colorado and whatever else is sort of coming down the pike over the next couple of months. All right. Obviously, check out the SI Media with Jimmy Traina podcast um, where every week um, he pretty much has a name, person and interesting conversations. Uh, I will say it. I say it enviously, but his, his conversation with Charles Barkley was phenomenal. It was a great podcast. The best podcast appearance I've ever had heard from Barkley so kudos to Jimmy on that. That's well worth going back to his archives uh, to check out. You could, of course, catch him on si.com where he writes daily for that site. Jimmy, I wish you nothing but uh, the best of success. Um,
2: Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate the nice words about the Far Free podcast. Very nice of you to say that. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we are in some ways competitors, but at the same time, I'm also going to be like, Hey man, if, if a podcast is awesome, it's awesome. Right, well, um, I, appreciate I appreciate that. Yeah. So you're welcome on that. And, uh, you don't go into the office anymore, right? I'm bummed out. We don't have an office. I know. It's The the fact that both of us worked at, at a singular building for so long and now there's no office anymore is, spins my head. It but sucks. That is the case. It sucks. I know. I hear you. All right. Jimmy Traynor, everyone. Follow his work. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. All right. Back uh, in the studio. My thanks to Ian Eagle and Jimmy Trana for coming on today. I really enjoyed that. If you like these podcasts, please uh, head to wherever you get them. Leave us a five star review and a nice note. That is how these podcasts continue. Uh, if you head to the archives, uh, we've been doing mini podcasts for a while. Bill Shea, my former colleague at Athletic, was our last guest. Prior to that, we had uh, John Lewis of Sports Media Watch and Aaron Quartzline on the Mike Babcock story. Um, Al Michaels, Fred Gadelli, Mark Titleman on the second season of Amazon's Prime Video. Kevin Clark was on this podcast. Uh, Pat McAfee, producer. Ty Schmidt. Ego go back. Burke Magnus. Jimmy Pitaro, if you like the sort of the business end of the stuff. We had Chris Fowler. Mark Spears, if you like the more personality side of the stuff. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his hard work. Thank you to everybody at Odyssey for their support. Most of all, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Sports Media Podcast.